eight countries in 17 days, 15 of them on a bus, which thankfully had plenty of room to stretch out. Our unusually small group consisted of eight from the States, five from Australia, three from New Zealand, and two from Barbados. We were shepherded by Simone, an amazing guide from the Netherlands who's been leading tours for 27 years, and our luxury coach was driven by a former airline pilot who prefers the excitement of driving through the unbelievably narrow and crowded streets of European cities to fly in a plane. Uh, we viewed beautiful scenery, explored historical sites, and enjoyed the cultures of England, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Austria, Italy, Switzerland, and France. Some of the most amazing structures we saw were the churches and cathedrals. The Cologne Cathedral, which took 600 years to build, is the most impressive. The interior of St. Mark's Basilica in Venice is covered with amazing mosaics which desperately need cleaning. The Sistine Chapel, which has been cleaned, was awe-inspiring. And the Cathedral of St. Mary the Flower in Florence, covered in white, green, and pink marble, is in my estimation the most beautiful of them all. Across the street from St. Mary's is the Baptistry of St. John, built between 1050 and 1128, which has bronze doors that Michelangelo called the Gates of Paradise. Sadly, the narrow gate that actually leads to eternal life is often overlooked in Europe because most of the cathedrals are more museums than churches. And while steeples still point to heaven throughout the countryside, few express faith in what Jesus did for them on the cross. Obviously, the gospel message was declared in Europe. We visited cathedrals that are said to house the remains of the three wise men who brought gifts to the Christ child. The apostle who was given the keys to the kingdom and the author of one of the gospels. In Rome, we were near where the apostle who was commissioned by the risen Christ to take the gospel to the Gentiles and sent to Europe is buried. So why the lack of faith in Europe today? And whose fault will it be if millions of people aren't allowed to enter through the pearly gates to paradise? Obviously, it's not God's fault. He's done everything possible, short of violating free will, to bring everyone into a saving relationship with himself. And Peter made it very clear that it's not God's will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. That was true in Paul's day. 
It's been true for nearly 2,000 years in Europe, and it is true for us today. And as we pick up our study in Romans this morning, we once again find Paul expressing his heartfelt concern for those who weren't accepting Christ. It broke his heart that the majority of his kinsmen, the Jews, were not responding to the gospel. But he makes it very clear that their failure to embrace Christ was not God's fault. He had made certain that the gospel, the good news that his son had paid for their sins and that he wanted to enter into a personal relationship with them was sent. And that message had been heard and understood. If they didn't respond to the gospel message by calling upon the name of the Lord through faith and baptism into Christ, they had no one to blame but themselves. They couldn't blame God for the consequences of their actions or lack of action. And neither can we because the gospel has been sent. We're in Romans chapter 10. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. You know, we turn to this passage when sending out a preacher, and it's almost always read at ordinations into the ministry. And it's true. We can't expect people to call upon the Lord if they don't believe, and they're not going to believe if they've never heard. And they're not going to hear if there aren't preachers. And there won't be any preachers if they're not sent. So we send out preachers. You know, even in a day of microwave transmissions and digital communications, we need preachers. We need flesh and blood people out there delivering the message. And God has always made sure there were preachers. He personally calls individuals into the ministry and has given them his written message to proclaim. And he has instructed the church to send them out and to support them. So the gospel has been sent. Glad tidings of good things have been delivered by preachers with beautiful feet. Now, before you check out my toenails, we ought to go back and uh, see how Isaiah originally wrote that, not the way Paul paraphrased it. Isaiah said, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation. That's a whole lot better. The point is that the gospel, the good news, the glad tidings of good things has been sent. The Jews 
and anyone who has failed to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved cannot say the message hasn't been sent. It has. And the gospel has been heard, verses 16 through 18. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they've never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Have you ever told your kids to do something only to have them sit there and do nothing? I'm sure you have. Especially if you're telling them to do something they don't want to do. You know, it's not as easy to hear, go clean up your room, as it is, let's go out to night's action park. If they don't respond to good news, however, we think there must be a problem and we look for beans in their ears. That's why Isaiah was puzzled. When the people didn't respond to the glad tidings he delivered, he foretold a time of peace, of happiness, and restoration for Jerusalem. He even foretold the coming of the suffering servant who would bear the sin of many and intercede for the transgressors. That message was delivered 750 years before Christ, but few believed it. Isaiah knew they weren't believing it when he said it. And they still weren't believing it even after Christ had come. Now, Paul openly acknowledged that faith comes from hearing. Hearing the word of Christ. If you haven't heard of Christ, you can't believe in him. So he says, surely they've never heard, have they? You know, that would explain the unbelief of Israel. If they had never heard, they couldn't be expected to believe. But they had heard. The apostles had preached the gospel throughout the Roman Empire by the time the epistle to the Romans was written. The prophets, hundreds of years before them, had foretold the Messiah's coming. And as the psalmist said, even the heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. So Paul concludes by paraphrasing from Psalm 19. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The gospel had been sent and it had been heard. You know, no one can say, I never heard. No one. Even if someone hasn't heard the details of the gospel, he's heard enough to know God. Paul made that clear back in the first chapter of Romans. He writes, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. The gospel has been heard. But has it been understood? 
Indeed, it has. The Gentiles didn't have a problem understanding it. Paul writes, But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? At the first, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who sought me not. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. You know, if no one understands a law, ignorance is probably an excuse. But if you're caught speeding in an area where the speed is posted and others are going the right speed, it probably won't do any good to say, I didn't know it was a 30-mile-an-hour zone. If no one understood the offer God was making to save them through faith in his son, you could assume it was God's fault, that he hadn't made the plan of salvation clear enough. But that wasn't the case. In fact, Moses had said 1,400 years earlier that God was going to do something that would entice the Jews to make the effort to understand the offer he was making. He was going to make them jealous by a nation without understanding. He was going to use pagans, heathens, Gentiles who weren't known as intellectuals to make the Jews jealous. Isaiah then indicated that they would become jealous because those who weren't even looking for God would find him. God was going to use that unsought relationship and the jealousy that would come from it to make the Jews want what the Gentiles had found. Like kids fighting over a toy that no one wanted or even thought about until someone took it out of the toy box, God was going to use the Gentiles to get the Jews wanting what he was offering. And to do so, God had made the plan of salvation so simple that those who weren't even looking for a relationship with him would find it and understand it. So no, the gospel isn't too hard to understand. God has made it simple enough for a child to understand. Now, that's not to say an adult can't make it hard to understand. We can make the simplest of things complex if we try. You know, sometimes we just figure it can't be that simple. There has to be more to it than that. And we overlook the simple truth that God loves us and has provided a way for us to be forgiven. All we have to do is believe it and act upon it. It's not that hard. The gospel has been sent. The gospel has been heard gospel has been understood. So why weren't the Jews responding any better than they were? Well, Paul answers that by again quoting from Isaiah. 
But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Israel wasn't responding to the gospel because they were a disobedient and obstinate people. If you haven't responded to the gospel, what's your excuse? The gospel has been sent. The gospel has been heard. And the gospel has been understood. If you don't accept it, it's not God's fault. It's yours. If you choose to ignore what God has said and what those around you have come to understand, And if you refuse to do what God has said you must do and what those you worship with have done, could it be that you are just being disobedient and obstinate? If you are, I call upon you to repent. I call upon you to trust and obey. Let's stand.